And over these next weeks, you're going to hear testimonies every week, uh, testimonies of uh, people's lives that have been radically impacted and changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you'll also hear a message. I'm going to talk about the rich young ruler today, and we'll be breaking down lives like Mephibosheth and some of these unknown stories in the Bible that had incredible uh, just messages and meaning and impact to them. But you're going to hear testimonies every week. And so I asked my buddy Joe, uh, since he's uh, come on staff with us here coordinating all of our children's ministry, I asked Joe if he would kick it off today and share a testimony, give it up for my buddy and my friend Joe Reynolds. <clears throat> well, for me, it started in September 2013. That's when I nailed a stake in the ground and said, I'm going all in for Jesus Christ. Um, I grew up in church culture, and for me, it was all based on performance. From a little age, when I was, you know, six, seven years old, I was remembering Bible scripture, and the more Bible scripture I memorized, the more candy I got. And then that created a, a mentality for me that the more I do, the more I get. Well, for, as that, I got better at performing. Throughout um, my, <clears throat> excuse me, throughout uh, middle school, I started doing all the little kind of camps and that kind of stuff, and I was always one of the leaders. But then when I got in high school, I went to a small church, but at just about every Sunday night, once a month, I was doing the, the Sunday night devotions and leading the worship and stuff, and they were grooming me to be a preacher. But I was, I was always some, something short. I didn't have a relationship with Christ, and my identity was based on my performance and what I did. Well, I was one of about uh, 30, 30 kids from across America that was chosen to go on this consortium of different denominations on a mission trip to Canada. And um, when I came back from that, I was supposed to start and go to a, uh, start as an intern down at a small church in Sandersville, Georgia. Well, when I got back, my mom and dad said I was supposed to call the preacher, and I called him, and he had told me that they'd had a change of plans. That wasn't what I was going to do anymore. Um, he's sorry, but things didn't work out. Well, I just, I was furious. I was mad. I'm done. I don't want nothing to do with God. I've worked my whole life to get to this point, and now look at it. I don't have anything. So I totally shifted gears and said I was going off to college. Uh, for the next six years, I did everything that I could imagine that totally went contrary to what I'd believed or what I'd grown up in. Uh, didn't matter if it was drugs, sex, alcohol, womanizing, it didn't matter. I was in it full-fledged. Full um, and then I got involved with some athletics, and we won two national championships. And that created an opportunity for me where I was traveling around the southeast. And I was coaching other teams, other universities and stuff. And I was getting a lot of attaboys and a lot of pats on the back. But I was always something short. Something was always missing. And like I was telling Tim... A lot of those Sunday mornings when I'd wake up at the frat house or something, I was always one of the first ones up, but I can remember several times I'd sneak in the back door of the church across the street, and then I was always the first one out of church because I was embarrassed and I was ashamed of the way I was living. Well, once I got out of college, I met a girl, and I thought things were finally going to be right, and me and her fell in love. I had a great job. I was making killer money, and... Um, Things were just, I mean, that was our life. We were going back and forth to Colorado all the time, snow skiing. Things were just what it was supposed to be for a newlywed couple. Well, I came home from Atlanta one day, and all the bags were packed, and they were on the, um, on the couch right there. And I said, uh, where are we going? And she said, I'm leaving. I'm like, what? She said, I'm leaving. And uh, she packed up her bags, and she left, and she went to Miami. And I haven't seen her but one or two times since. 
And uh, that just totally turned my, my world upside down. Once again, I didn't have any identity in anything except for things that I had no control over. And so I started searching for things and started trying to fill that void once again. Well, I found myself in bars down in Atlanta. I found myself running around with the Falcons cheerleaders and a lot of club owners down in Atlanta. And I was running in circles that we're not going to discuss things that were going on. And it was an entirely different style of life, and especially for, for me. Well, uh, I met this lady, and I guess it was five weeks later we were pregnant. And at this point, I had to decide what I was going to do. And it was at that point that I decided I was going to walk away from the, from the nightlife. I was going to walk away from the, the drugs, the alcohol, and I was going to raise my kids the right way. Well, little did I know that, that the lifestyle that I had planned didn't work out. And so for the next 10 years, her and I struggled through addiction. Her and I struggled through uh, depression. Her and I struggled through all kinds of stuff. And needless to say, the marriage didn't work. Um, and, you know, throughout all of that, I learned many things. <clears throat> but one of the things that I did learn, you know, when, when we were talking up here earlier, the relentless love of God, it, it never failed. And when we ended in divorce, um, I had two children that I was raising on my own. And it was at that point, September 13th, that I decided that I was, gonna, I was really going all in for Christ. And I was tired of circumstances changing who I was going to be. And, and I was always ashamed of my testimony. I was ashamed of the drug abuse. I was ashamed of the alcohol. I was ashamed of the, of the way that I would womanized women. I, I was ashamed of everything that I'd always done. But it's amazing how God's redeemed that. And over here working in the children's ministry, how many children come from broken homes. Mm. It's amazing how many men I get to talk to who are that close to calling quits. Mm. And I'm able to say, nah, dude, don't. Go in for God. So uh, I stand here today and I say your story does matter. Mm. And um, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be sharing my life with you guys and with the, gosh, I ended up crying. 6'6", <laughs> 260 pounds of still cry. <laughs> but uh, it is, it, I, I'm not ashamed to cry, though, because what God's done in my life and what God's doing in my life and what God's doing in the children in this church, it, it is emotional. You know, and uh, yesterday hmm. was a great day. Amen. Take it away, Joe. I love Big Joe. Joe and I have walked with each other now for about 12 plus years. And uh, Barb and I have had a chance to love on Joe and his kids for many years now. But to see the radical transformation in my brother's heart, That brother is qualified to serve God because of the atoning blood of Jesus and the radical restoration that's taken place in his life through the power of the gospel. And I love that brother. And I think he identifies with people with broken stories, with broken hearts, with broken families. And if there's anybody that gets ministering to kids that are hurting, Joe does. If I had to title our talk today, I would title it Almost. Almost. 
Now, almost is a sad word in pretty much anybody's dictionary or vocabulary. Almost has a very uh, select few friends that he runs with. He hangs out with if only and what if. Almost implies missed opportunities and forfeited chances. If you've been in, in the Atlanta area for years, you can understand this statement that the Falcons almost won the Super Bowl. Right? I've had my kids look at me and say, I almost finished my homework. Some of you guys have told stories, and I'll look at you and say, yeah, I almost caught a bass that was about the size of my leg. Almost. Almost is an interesting word. In Acts chapter 26, verse 28, King Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Paul's having this dialogue, breaking down the gospel. You almost persuade me. I've heard people say, I almost quit drinking when I had that heart attack. We were almost able to save my marriage, but she refused out of her own bitterness to repent and get things right almost. Mark chapter 10, it's in your bulletin. I would invite you to open to that story. But it tells the narrative of a guy who almost got it right. He's been referred to as the rich young ruler. One day he met Jesus and he almost surrendered. He almost embraced Christ to be the Lord of his life. But almost is not good enough. He had almost everything but the one thing that matters most. And he missed it. Scripture says that as Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher... Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? People recognized this young man. He was popular. He had clout. He had notoriety in his community where he lived. He was a religious guy, the scripture says, and he had a ton of money. And people recognized this young man when he came up to Jesus. Read the text. It says that this guy was eager. He ran to Jesus. He had a little enthusiasm in him. The scripture says that he was respectful. He even knelt before Jesus, showed a little respect. The guy was reverent. He called Jesus good teacher. He was spiritual. He asked about eternal life. And he was even moral. When you read it, he had been really good at following rules. Don't miss this dude. So there was a lot of things right out of the gate that are somewhat uh, uh, you could admire about this guy. He runs to Jesus, he kneels before Jesus, he calls him good teacher, he's engaging with Jesus, and then Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God and God alone. He said, you know the commandments, you want to know what to do? Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not cheat anyone, do honor your father and your mother. He said, teacher, I've kept all these things from the time I was young. And looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said, one thing you like, one thing you like, go sell all of your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. But at these words, he was saddened. He went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. Jesus looking around said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who are wealthy 
to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. They were even more astonished and said to him, then who can be saved? Looking at them, Jesus said, with people, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. Now, this is a familiar narrative for some of us who have been around church culture for a while. We've heard people refer to this cat. But I want to make some observations to you that I believe can even have application in your own journey today. First thing I want you to notice is that he acknowledged Jesus as a good teacher, not as Lord. He acknowledged him as a good teacher. The man was very good at being good. You know, for a lot of people that have grown up around church culture that are so called good, I mean, Joe was a poser, and Joe was a performer, and Joe went to church, and Joe memorized scripture, and jumped through all of the denominational hoops, and was somewhat applauded. There's a lot of people I meet that are in that boat right now. They don't think that they're that bad. They don't think that they're that lost. They don't think that they're that wayward, and they're really good at being good when it comes to the outward behavior and when it comes to their outward actions. This guy right here probably had a PhD in good morals. But in spite, in spite of his behavior, in spite of his goodness, he comes to Jesus. And what he's basically saying is, why am I not alive? Doing all that I'm supposed to do, being applauded by the religious system, why am I not truly alive in my soul? You know, for a person who's truly been born again and who has embraced Christ and the good news of the gospel, the joy of the Lord will become central in their journey. When you hang out with people, you want to see, is the joy of the Lord central in who they are and what they're doing? This guy felt empty. He felt numb. He had constructed this impressive persona, but deep down inside, he was dead and he was searching for life. And you know, it's so easy to do that. It's so easy to construct an impressive persona that impresses other people, but deep down inside, you know in your own heart when you lay your head on the pillow at night that you're dead, you're numb, you're empty. I would say this, there's a lot of people that are good at posing, good at performing, good at pretending, good at playing the game. But you look and you go, why do I not have the excitement and the joy of the Lord? And why do I not have the passion of the glory of the gospel uh, residing deep inside of me? What am, I, what, what am I missing? We'll unpackage this. But Jesus responded to this guy, I think, in a very odd way. Jesus said, why do you call me good? Why do you call me good? There's only one that's good and it's God alone. For you to call me good is for you to call me God. And for you to call me God is for you to obey my teachings. And for you to obey my teachings is where life will be found. Why do you call me good? For you to call me good, you must be implying that you think I'm God. But if I'm God, what are you going to do with the challenge that I'm about to lay on you? Because if you know me, you'll love me. And if you love me, you'll trust me. And if you trust me, you will obey me. Why do you call me good? Second thing I would emphasize would be this. He acknowledged him as a good teacher, not as Lord. Lord means master, ruler, controller. So when we even use the word, the Lord Jesus Christ, Lord, master, ruler, controller, Jesus, 
Yeshua, God is our salvation, Christ the anointed one. When we call him the Lord Jesus Christ, we're calling him the anointed one sent by God that brings salvation, who is master and authority of all. Second observation is he focused on doing, not on being. God made us, if you study Genesis, human beings, not human doers. His question was all performance-based. What must I do? I want to follow rules. I want to bring something to the dance. And even the Old Testament scripture says that when you bring your best to the dance, your righteousness is like filthy rags before God. What can I bring to the dance? I mean, there's got to be something I can contribute, right? Jesus, and I would say this, doing has kept a lot of people in bondage for years. Doing has kept a lot of people in bondage as a captive for many years, trying to jump through enough hoops, playing the religious system. Doing will cause you to live in fear. Did you hear me? Doing will cause you to live in fear because you can never do enough. What's the standard? What's the bar? What, what kind of grade do you have to have in order to do enough? And I know a lot of people that come from a variety of religious institutions that are constantly performing and doing, trying to satisfy God so that they think they're good enough. Hey, when I get my life together and when I'm able to do enough and read enough and pray enough and give enough, then I'll surrender to Christ. No, you come as you are and let him change you. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to take a bath in order to take a shower. You don't have to clean your life up to come to the blood of Christ. You come to him and you let him change you. Jesus said, uh, you, you want to do? You, you want to be good? Well, well, you know the commandments. He's a religious guy. He's been around it all his life. Jesus said, you, you know the commandments. How's the commandments working for you? Can the commandments save you? Then you want to do something? Then he lists that. Do not kill. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not. Do, you you want to do? How's that working for you? And the guy basically is looking at Jesus said, I've done all this. I've played the religious game. And I'm still dead. I'm still numb. I'm still empty. I go on Sunday morning. I go on Sunday night. I go on Wednesday night. But I'm dead. I've never repented of my sin and totally cried out to Christ to be Yeshua HaMashiach, the anointed one that can rescue me and deliver me and set me free. I mean, I go through the system and... He's like, it's not a system, it's a savior, and it's not performance. It's a personal relationship with the one who made you and redeemed you. And Jesus is looking at this guy with great compassion. The text even says he looks at him and he loves him. So I would pose the question to you, are you tired of trying to measure up? Are you gassed and just burnt out on performance? Because the gospel is not about trying, it's about trusting. D did you get that? I mean, years ago when I flirted with church for a little bit, I would see guys wearing those pins on their sports coats that said, try God. No, no, I tried pizza and I, and I tried a real buy. And, and, I, and I tried sweet potato, and I don't want to try God as if I'm just trying something else. The gospel 
And the scripture never says, try God. It says, trust him. The only thing it says, try God in is with your money if you claim to be a follower of him. Try me in this. Test me in this and see if I'm not faithful. And so reality is God calls us to trust him. Do not lean in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and trust him with all your heart and see where he will lead you. See where he will lead you. And I think so many people stay in the trying mode. Well, I'm trying. You'll hear, you'll hear this. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be a good Christian. Then tell me what your definition of trying to be a bad Christian would be. Well, I'm trying to be a lukewarm Christian. Trying, how do I try to be a good Christian? I can't do it. I can't pull it off. The, the, the power of the gospel is the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me, that Christ now lives his life out through me. I don't have to try anymore. I told you when I started living in freedom is when I learned to live from God and not for God. Because when I tried to live for God, I had formulas and I would force agendas and I would force a quiet time. But when I started living from Christ, I realized that the Holy Spirit lived inside of me and God wanted me to trust the Holy Spirit that lived inside of me. And this guy here is, he's on a performance treadmill. But here's what Jesus said to him, and I want you to get it. And I think this applies to many of you sitting here today. Jesus looked at him with love. Jesus looked at him with compassion. And Jesus said this, leave the audience. Leave the show. Sell your props your costumes, your mask, leave the audience behind. Quit seeking the approval of others. Realize that God approves you because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Sell the show. Cancel all your gigs. And then come follow me. And the text says he couldn't. He wouldn't. Because he was addicted to his possessions. You know what keeps a lot of people in bondage? Even guys in ministry. Guys in ministry oftentimes feel that they've got to perform on Sunday morning. They don't deal with the junk in their lives, the trash in their lives, any type of corruption in their lives. I, I got to impress these people one more week. No, you don't. Drop the mask. Drop the costumes. Sell y'all your props. Cancel the show, homie, and follow Jesus. And that's what God, through Christ, is telling this guy. You, you, you want the audience. You like being known. You like being popular. It's crazy. He thought that if I can learn all the right things and do all the right things and get all the right things, then maybe I will be able to manufacture enough life in myself that I'll be okay. And he couldn't. You ever tried that? You ever tried to perform? You ever tried to get more knowledge and just make sure you were doing all the right things? And if I can just do that, then I'll be okay. It's empty. But I would say this to you. If you do not have an accurate understanding and a proper understanding of grace, you will continue to live in a cycle of performance. If you don't get grace, that you bring nothing to the dance, you can't add anything to it. Materialism, fame, stardom, they're all empty in themselves. Don't miss this. Jesus says, you want to do something? 
Go sell everything that you have and then give it to the poor. Is that an anti-wealth statement? Not at all. Is Jesus saying that in order for you to be an authentic disciple, that you must liquid all of your assets in order to be a disciple? Not at all. Jesus had a conversation with another religious dude that had money by the name of Nicodemus. John chapter 3. Did he tell Nicodemus, go sell all your stuff and then you can come follow me? No. Money can be morally neutral. It can do great good and it can do terrible harm. The question is, who's in control of it? See, money was sitting on the throne of this guy's life. Money was occupying this guy's affection, stuff, materialism, possession. But the question must be posed, what occupies my heart's throne? What is sitting on the throne of my heart? And Jesus is basically saying, you've got to get rid of what's on your throne right now. You must dethrone this money, your possessions, and your stuff. And I think even walking the journey with Joe, you've got to dethrone some stuff. I drove a stake in the ground September of 2013. I'm going all in. But there's a lot of people that still struggle with going all in. Because for some people, it can be money, and it can be wealth, and it can be materialism. But for some people, what holds you back is bitterness and resentment and rejection. One of the ladies that attended our back-to-school yesterday came up to me at the end and said, do y'all offer counseling here? Well, praise God, my buddy Richard Clinton is getting his counseling degree, and part of his curriculum is he's going to start doing more and more counseling here. And I said, yes, we do. And she goes, well, I'm mad at God. Really? Well, my husband was a youth pastor, and he cheated on me in a previous church. We went to another church, and he cheated on me again. You're not mad at God. You're mad at your view of God. How can you be mad at God if you truly know God? If you know who he is, he didn't do this to you. You're suffering the ruins of some jack leg that you were married to. I had to work on that word real quick. <laughs> Almost pulled an Esposito on you guys. <laughs> but do you know that this is a very, very, very hard message for many of us? Go and sell, go and dethrone any less wild lover that's occupying your affections and come and Follow me. You, you see, I'm a jealous God, and I don't share my glory with no one else. And I'm not going to compete as one of your favorites of multiple champions that you have running your life right now. Did, did, did you hear me? I think that's the hardest thing about authentic repentance and turning from sin is because we feel like we can flirt with the things of God and God is okay with co-champion just our lives. He's like, I'm not going to co-champion it. I'm either going to be Lord of all or I will not be Lord at all. I didn't come to take part in your life. I came to take over your life. I came to offer you life. Everything else will not bring you life. I am life. 
Here's a third point. He called Jesus good teacher, not Lord. He focused on doing and not being. He was on a performance treadmill. And then it says he walked away. I don't know about you, but when I read that and I ponder that, it breaks my heart. Because Jesus is offering this guy life and hope and peace and a direction of purpose in his life. And it says he walked away. And I've shared with people and I've prayed with people that just walk away. I want to do that. I want my own life. And he's like, I want to invite you on a journey. I want to invite you to walk in the dust of Rabbi Jesus. I want to invite you to hang with me and these other disciples on this journey. I want you to know that this is where life is, repenting and responding and receiving me. I I, I want you to have life. And he walked away. And so I would have to ask the question, some of you have been around it. Have you walked away? Some, Some of you walk in here today and you're walking away. You're walking away from Jesus before you walk away from your marriage. You're walking away from Jesus before you walk away from your family. You're walking away. And the scripture says he walked away. I invite you to abandon the posing To abandon the performing, the pretending, slay the word fine in your vocabulary, get authentic about where you're at. Jesus says, come. And the disciples said, this dude who's applauded, who is respected, who is known, if he walks away, then who can be saved? Any person who's willing to dethrone the less wild lovers of their life and respond to Jesus as Lord, those can be saved. But it's so hard for those with extreme wealth and extreme materialism, he said, to really get it because so often they're so addicted and attached to their stuff. Make sense? Your story matters, and this story in Scripture matters. So grace, unmerited and undeserved favor, knowing that I can bring nothing to the gospel and nothing to the dance, it's by grace I've been saved through faith. It's not of myself. It's a free gift of God. It's not a result of works. I can't boast about it. It's grace. Yes, amazing grace. That's what it, that's what it is. And there's basically three groups of people that are sitting here today. I want you to get it. There's three groups of people represented in this room today. There's those that are living what I call the surrendered life. I'm living surrendered, Tim, are you? I really am. And you've established that God owns me and God owns my possessions. God owns everything I have. So you're constantly growing and you're wanting to know God deeper and you're learning to love him more fuller and and, and you're trusting him and you're obeying him and you're like, yes. But there's some sitting in here today that are living the compromised life or the carnal life. And there's quite a few. And here's where you're at. God owns me, but I own my possessions. 
I worked for it. I made it. I earned it. I'll decide what I do with it. And you're living a defeated, carnal, compromised life because you've concluded that the gospel is all about Jesus dying for you to keep you out of hell, but you call the shots while you're here. No, my money's mine. My time is mine. And you're walking through life right now, and the joy of the Lord's not central because you are living a carnal, compromised life. I've been there. There's others that are living a lost life. You walk in here and you're like, my life is up to me. I'm in control of it, and my possessions are mine to do whatever I want to. And I'm telling you what, that is a bad place to be because you're lost. If you ever come to realize and recognize Jesus Christ as Lord of being who he is, and you release the reins of your will to him, watch what he's able to do with a ragamuffin like you. Your story matters. This guy's story matters. Jesus loves this guy. Jesus' heart breaks for this guy. This guy walks away. The greatest invitation and offer that he would ever get in life, he walked away from it. He walked away. And I don't want you to walk away. I don't want you to walk away. The gospel is good news. It's not come and try, it's come and trust. It's not come and do. When Jesus cries out on the cross, it is finished. He didn't say, I've done my part, now you go do yours. The gospel does not say do, that's the law. The gospel says done once and for all. The wrath of the Father has been satisfied and appeased through the shed blood and atoning sacrifice of the Son. It is finished. It's done. Now come and follow me. Give up your less well lovers. Here's my close. It's impossible to find authentic life in anything other than Christ and things and stuff and horizontal relationships. I've read a lot of sad stories in the scripture. This is a sad story in the scripture right here. This guy walked up to the one who could offer and give abundant life and eternal life. And he walked away in worse shape than when he came up to Jesus. Do you know if you reject the gospel, and when you share the love of Christ with others, if people reject the gospel, they walk away in worse condition than when you met them. Second thing would be this. Jesus Christ alone is the only one that can bring about satisfaction and fulfillment. Jesus loves us. Our story matters. Jesus loves us, and he's the only one that can forgive you of sin, that can give you peace inside your soul, the only one that can give you healthy direction into your future. He's the only one that knows every fiber, cell, tissue, tendon, hair on your head. He knows you. He says, I made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. I'm what you're looking for. But when we reject the gospel and refuse to submit to the lordship of Christ, we're rejecting life.
Your story matters. And so today is a day of decision and commitment. Even as I woke up this morning and as I was on the elliptical, just kind of reading and praying and listening to our worship set, I'm like, Tim, today is a day of decision and commitment for you. Today is another day for you to decide if you're going to drive the stake even stronger and deeper into the ground of saying, I'm going all in, or if you're going to just be okay with where you're at right now. Today is a day of decision and commitment. I would highly encourage you, don't be like this rich, young ruler who had money but didn't have life, who had notoriety, but he did not have nobility true nobility. He missed it. I pray that today's word encouraged you. And thanks for joining us uh, on this uh, broadcast today. If we can help you in your walk with Christ in any way, feel free to contact us here at the Cross Loganville. Our email, info at thecrossloganville.org, or you can call us 770-554-3322. God bless you, and I pray that you have just an incredible day.